You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production. The whole idea of ignorance is bliss, where the first race I ever do in a certain course, whether a certain distance, is always my best one. It's when I return back, you know, or it could be just, you know, forget racing. It could be a climb, a very famous climb, right? That first time I day, I'm all smiles. I usually PR. I think it's my first time. But then the next time you're coming to it, it's like, you know the pain. You can remember what's going to happen. Oh, and that hill and that, that turn. And same thing with business too, right? So this is my first run up this hill. And so, so it's exciting too. So I don't know. I will say that I'm just extremely glad that I did not know what I know now, right? And so I'm intimately familiar with, you know, with the market and how difficult it is. And, and so if I knew what was a lead ahead, because it was a challenging one, right? As you know, it's, it's not easy to have a startup in any industry. And, but in this one in particular, you know, where you have such strong brand allegiances, you have such big players, you have, you know, people with such bigger, so much bigger pockets that can throw so much more money at, at you know, from sponsorships to development. So it, it was the passion that I have for it that drove me to do it. And it's the passion that I have for it that kept me in it. It's the only way. That was Dia Noor. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hello, welcome, and welcome back to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. All right, here we go, 2022. This is our first guest of the year. Dia Noor. He is the founder and CEO of Ventum, the world-famous luxury bicycle brand with some of the most beautiful, high-performance bicycles ever created for road, triathlon, and gravel. Beyond the great design, Ventum has shifted the paradigm for bike buying with their direct-to-consumer business model, personalized fit and spec options at the point of purchase, including everything from components and wheels to bar width, stem length, and even the range of gear that they offer. I had so much fun syncing up with Dia during today's conversation on the podcast. We talk all about how Ventum came to fruition and the inspiration behind him launching this company. He also offers amazing entrepreneurial and startup tips and advice. Additionally, we chat about his passion for endurance sports, training, his favorite gear, and how he is currently staying healthy and fit. Before we dive in, shout out to our sponsors, Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is the ultra personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to help you optimize your body from the inside out. They are my go-to for understanding my inner health, looking at my blood levels, and getting great nutritional insight. Inside Tracker transforms your body's data into meaningful insights and a customized action plan 
of the science-backed recommendations you need to reach your goals. Take control of your health and wellness. Unlock the power of your potential. And use our code CHEERSMARNIE for 25% off. Now, on to my conversation with Dia. You lived in South Beach for 10 years. That's where you started Ventum. I love these beautiful, beautiful road, gravel, and tri bikes. Oh, thanks so much. Where did the idea for Ventum come from? Like when and when did you launch? You know, that that's that's a really good question. So the company got created at the end of 2014. And then we launched in 2015. So the product actually came out in Q4 of 2015. Why did I start this company is a tough question to answer. I uh, I mean, I joke around and say stupidity because I didn't really realize what I was getting myself into probably. Um, I had just exited a telecom company. So I used to live in DC before Miami and I had a telecom company uh, there. And I remember exiting in May of 2014 and telling myself like, oh, I am going to do whatever I want to do. If I want to stay in bed all day, I will. I'm no longer a slave to my BlackBerry because I think that's probably yeah, what I had at the time. I had time. a BlackBerry. You know, I, yeah. yeah, right? I'm like, happy hour can start at 2 p.m. I don't care. It's going to be the best. So like a mini hiatus, a mini retirement. And fast forward three weeks, I was as depressed as I've ever been. I mean, it was it was crazy how quickly. I mean, here I am. I was... 33 years old, had more money than I've ever had my entire life combined. Yeah. And all the free time in the world. And I lived in the heart of South Beach, uh, you know, in a beautiful Art Deco home. Like, so you would think like this would be heaven, right? And it wasn't because I realized I need to be producing. I need to be doing things. I, and if I'm not, uh, I'm not happy because that's where my happiness comes from. So at the same time, my whole circle of friends or a lot of that big that circle of friends was into triathlon. My brother was a professional, he's a former professional triathlete. And so I was around the sport and I knew I wanted to do something in the sport. I just didn't know exactly what. Uh, I even looked at creating events. You know, obviously I wasn't going to go compete with Ironman. Right. Let's just join them. Which yeah, that can that's come a up smart soon. idea. Uh, yeah, right. Entrepreneurship 101. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. And so... So when I started looking you know, at the, what I wanted to do, I started looking at the product more carefully. And the problem with the product at the time is that it wasn't specifically built for non-draft legal triathlon, which is what Ironman is, right? You're not allowed to draft. So, so when you're not allowed to draft behind someone, the aerodynamics of a bike play a huge role. In fact, it's the biggest role, right? And, and so, but because triathlon was a very fast growing sport, but still a very young and small sport in terms of participation, that the big boys, uh, the big manufacturers were not going to make a bike that was specifically for that small you know, segment of people. Right. And so, but for us, uh, because we were new, we had no legacy systems and we were triathlon minded. We built our first bike, which is the Ventum One, um, which is our flagship triathlon bike from the ground up in the wind tunnel. And, um, you know, the best way I can describe it, because I am from a telecom background, is the big boys were kind of like Bell Atlantic and Verizon and spend gazillions of dollars putting landlines, yeah. you know, from New York to LA and infrastructure. And then we were kind of like the cell phone company, like, oh, we'll put a tower here and a tower there, very little CapEx, and oh, you can walk and talk. 
right? Yeah. So, so, so we didn't have that legacy technology where you know heavy capex to worry about, um, which which was huge for us, right? And so, so that's how the triathlon bike was born from the wind in the wind tunnel. And also, another thing that I noticed that just did not make sense at all is the UCI. And if you're not familiar with the UCI, it is a cycling federation that governs like the Tour de France and the Giro, and and so they are. And I'll be honest, uh, pretty archaic, right? They've been around forever. It's a good old boys club. And they made certain rules to make sure, and actually they're decent rules when they were made at the time, just right. to make sure that everybody was competing at a fair level. So they had tube shapes of bikes like they couldn't, you know, that you couldn't change and angles of certain, of certain uh, bike parts that you couldn't change. And so that's great and all when you're in a pack of riders of 100 people and you're tucked in, but that is not the most aerodynamic bike you can make. Now, why are we using UCI legal bikes in Ironman when Ironman has nothing to do with the UCI? The UCI does not govern Ironman. They have no relationship. So, so, but it's because of what we had talked about earlier, where there was no mass participation. And so we obviously did not adhere by the UCI whatsoever. I mean, if you look at our Ventum 1 it looks like a spaceship, right? Yeah, it's, got no it's chain, so awesome. That, right? <laughs> yes. No seat stays, no down tube. Uh, it's, it, uh, it, it, is, it is very, very UCI illegal. Totally, right? yeah. <laughs> but it's also very fast because of it. Yeah, the Ventum 1. Yeah, the, the, the road bike is the NS1. So they have similar names. But that was the tri-bike that we did. And, and so, so it is UCI illegal. And also, I mean, it, we were able to do features that you could just wouldn't do on a, on a traditional bike. For example, we integrated our hydration. We have a 1.4 liter bottle that sits on the top tube and it completes the frame. It completes the shape of the frame. And what that does is bottles and bottle cages traditionally, so if you think of your traditional bike with the bottle cages and the round bottles, th- those cause an arrow penalty, right? They create drag. And any bottle cage, anything is gonna create gas. So it's gonna slow you down. We're the only bike in the world on the triathlon side where our hydration system makes you faster when it's on the bike than off of the bike. So we took a negative, which is your hydration, carrying your hydration slows you down. And we made it into a positive because the bike actually tests faster in the wind tunnel with our bottle on and off. So if you could do an entire Ironman without hydration, I mean, that's insane, but if you could just leave the bottle on it empty because it's faster. So these are some of the the, the advantages that we were able to create um, when we uh, really built the bike from the ground up in the wind tunnel and not adhered to anybody that's not a, a, a non-draft triathlete. What kind of group of products did you launch with and how has it grown and evolved? Yeah, so we launched with a TT bike, right? And, and people thought we were crazy because why are you launching in the, the most saturated tiniest niche market right it's probably one of the smallest segments also the whole world of designing a bike like you said earlier it is a lot like telecommunications because there are just these huge companies that have been doing it for decades and and you're like this new guy on the block launching a product in a small niche market you're absolutely right and and thank you i'll I'll say this and this is why when i said earlier it's like what made you do it and i was like you know stupidity naivety whatever you want to call it I will say that I'm just extremely glad uh, that I did not know what I know now, right? And so when it comes to, you know, I am I'm intimately familiar 
with you know with the market and how difficult it is and and so if i knew what was a lead ahead because it was a challenging road right as you know it's it's not easy to have a startup in any industry right yeah yeah and but in this one in particular you know where you have such strong brand allegiances you have such big players you have you know people with such bigger so much bigger pockets that can throw so much more money at, at you know from sponsorships to development so it, you know, it was the passion that I have for it that drove me to do it. And it's the passion that I have for it that kept me in it. I love that. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's the only way. Oh, I'll tell you, I wasn't passionate about IT, right? I mean, no offense to anybody that's in IT. It's, it's great, but I wasn't passionate about it. It was a job, right? It was, it was going in, doing my work. Right. How did you get that? How did you decide to do that? You know, I, I kind of fell into it. So I graduated from William & Mary, which is a, oh, you're on the East Coast. You probably know William & Mary yeah. uh, in Williamsburg, Virginia. Uh, it's funny because now that I've moved out to the West, like nobody has any idea what William & Mary is, which fair enough. It's a small liberal arts school, but it's a great school. But I graduated and I got, um, I got a job, I think first semester senior year um, as a stockbroker. So I had my job lined up, which made my senior year just say fun you know I mean I had nothing to worry about (laughs) yeah but I didn't really understand what that meant I don't think I I I I realized like I have zero passion for it but I went and got on my series 7 my series 63 and then started doing it and I hated it I mean absolutely hated it so I, I immediately got out of that and I ended up working for a company called Congressional Quarterly which is a DC based uh political publication and I started working in their call center, IT operations center. And then I got super close to the IT department and then just kind of fell into IT. And I was like, wait a minute, I can do this for myself. And so I actually, a lot of the people that used to work there came and worked with me uh, at Top Solutions, which is what the IT company was called. And so I kind of fell into it and it was great. I'll tell you, it was a lot easier. Ventum is my first product-based, physical product-based company versus services, which is you know, some might argue a little bit simpler. But you can't, there's no product to sell though. So that's hard. I'm in the service business, right? And I always say like, oh, one day I'll have a product because at least I can yeah. like physically sell something. Yeah, but if you, you know what? You know what? I always tell myself like, maybe I should have just invented something like the paperclip, right? <laughs> something that's like super simple, very right. easy to manufacture. Don't reinvent the wheel. <laughs> yeah, so you know, like I wish I did because think about this. I have prod. I have, between 40 and 50 SKUs that go on one bike that come from 16 different different countries that come all the way to Utah and get tested, finished, assembled, and ships out of here. The logistics alone, especially during this pandemic, which I'm sure we'll touch on later, has been extremely challenging because if one of those suppliers is late, or if one of these, and it could be something as meaningless as a small plastic piece, right? You're not sending that bike out. So if you do go into products, I keep them simple. <laughs> but even some of the simplest things are hard to do. Can <laughs> still be difficult, right? Yeah, I mean, but, but yeah, I agree. But, yeah. but you, but you weren't simple because it doesn't seem like that's your style. So. <laughs> no, no, no. I like punishment clearly. So. <laughs> Just to say, you know, if any of my listeners aren't super avid cyclists or triathletes, these bikes are like artwork. So, you know, you need to check them out and look at them and. For all my non-athlete people, like just check it out. We were talking about the first design that you launched with and the second design. So how did that evolve? Yeah, so Vent- so back to the triathlon bike, the Ventum One, as we, we left it off where we, we went to market, small niche, saturated. And then we quickly became the official bike of Ironman on the triathlon side. 
And that was huge for us. So we've been the official bank of Ironman for six years, which has been great. What it did for us early on is it gave us obviously a great brand association, but also it gave us an awareness um, kind of campaign internationally that would have taken us years, right? Because yeah. any place there's an Ironman, there's like 300 plus of them all over the world, you know, whether it's Slovenia, Turkey, Egypt, uh, France, like places that we would have never been able to penetrate, especially in year one or year two, yeah. we were starting to get an aware, you know, people were starting being aware of our brand. So that was fantastic. We knew we were not going to stop there. And we knew we wanted to, to develop a lot more um, verticals, right? And the next vertical to come out was the Ventum NS1. And that is a road bike. And in some ways, that was almost more complicated or harder, you know, creatively to, to think of than the Ventum 1, the tri-bike. The reason being, we keep coming back to it, is UCI. it had to be UCI legal, yeah. right? So, so how did you differentiate yourself from the others, right, if you have a much smaller sandbox to play in? And so one of the things that we looked at was kind of like, you know, where is there a hole in the market? And at the time, a lot of people were selling you two bikes, right? either a light, lightweight bike, it's going to have round tubes, and that's for your climbing, and then your aero bike, which is going to be a bit beefier but mm -hmm. way more aerodynamic but that's a tiny bit heavier and i understand why the industry i i'm not making yeah. fun of my colleagues here like i understand why you do this so that i can sell you two bikes instead of one and so what the ns1 came out said you know when we brought it out we said uh we want to make a lightweight aerodynamic bike kind of a, an all-in-one machine and so that was a little bit of our um, our our start there in the roadside and funny enough um I mean, like Specialized, who I, I definitely look up to, they're one of the best, if not the best, uh, released just this, you know, recently, their new bike is a lightweight aero bike. And so it's really nice to feel validated. It's really nice to see that, you know, we don't have a crystal ball, but we are, we're able to identify, obviously, areas uh, that needed improvement. And, and we did it early on, which was really beneficial for us. That's amazing. And now you also have a gravel bike, right? Yes. So the gravel bike. This is the future. As a triathlete, it, it, I definitely, and it, but I can't, I don't have, um, look, if I lived in Utah, I'd be graveling, but yeah, I'm in oh, New York it's, City. It's incredible. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. So gravel, gravel is the second fastest growing segment in cycling. The first is e-bikes, but e-bikes, I would almost put them in the category of their own, right? But the gravel bike, which, by the way, is our number one seller now. So although we started in triathlon, 80 to 90 percent of our sales now are on the road in gravel. And then 10, 15 percent sales now are triathlon related. Now, that's also probably pretty skewed because of the pandemic where you don't really buy a triathlon bike to go putz around and go to the store and back on. Right. You buy it because of the race. And when most of the races got canceled for almost two years, that's going to affect tri sales. There's no doubt about it. Right. And so. So that's, that's one of the big reasons. But back to the gravel bike, which is called the GS1. I love that story. And it's become my favorite bike for a couple of different reasons. But one is we are a performance slash luxury brand. We're kind of in a section of performance and luxury. And everything we do is, is, is performance focused. And at the time, gravel was a little bit of the wild, wild west. Like, I don't know if you've seen, but like there's so many new gravel bikes coming out now. And they're very performance look, driven. Gravel bikes. <laughs> Why? I mean, I love that bike so much because when we were creating it 
everybody from our engineers to our factories mm -hmm. were giving us a hard time because back then gravel was a wild, wild west. It was insignificant in terms of market size and people were using cyclocross bikes or mismatched potch bikes or mountain bikes. Like no one's like, it's like, why are you doing a gravel specific bike? And why are you putting all this technology into it? I mean, our gravel bike is equivalent in weight to our road bike and our road bike is very light. Mm -hmm. And so I remember manufacturing saying like, this is overkill. Why are we using double molds, EPS, and all these crazy things? You know, you can't get that price point in gravel. Why are you putting all this technology in gravel? And for us, really, the reason at the time was because when we do something, we do it well and we want to yeah. do it, you know, the, the, true to our ethos. And our ethos is that we're a performance brand. And, you know, after the grumbling, we got lucky. I wish I could take credit for this. But then COVID hit. And when COVID hit, was, you know, it was absolutely horrific. And one of the horrific parts about it is that it canceled all road group rides, right? right. You couldn't go anymore. Like they were all, man, maybe informally, but formally, there was no more group rides. And then these road cyclists, a lot of them didn't feel comfortable riding on the road by themselves, even right. with lights on and whatnot. So all of a sudden, you saw a huge influx to gravel, yep. safer, no cars. But where did the influx come from? It didn't come from the mountain bike side. So these are not mountain bikers that they said, I want to go graveling, right? Right. These are roadies that are now going into gravel. Yep. And now, triathletes. What do roadies care yeah. about? And triathletes. Yeah, fair. Let's, let's put them in there. So what, does, what does, do people that are coming from the road want? Speed, performance, and their weight weenies, right? Yeah. And so, so again, we didn't do it on purpose, but like we had the perfect performance purpose you know, driven bike at exactly the right time. Now, if I think if it was switched, if it was for some reason, I don't know, the mountains went away. That sounds really weird, but <laughs> it was mountain bikers coming into gravel. We wouldn't have had the success we had with that model right. because they may not be as concerned because they're coming from much heavier bikes, much slower peak and much more technical riding. And so it was really the perfect product at the perfect time. So there's one silver liner and literally just one from COVID that might be it. During the pandemic, you know, even I got more into cycling and I, I'm a triathlete. So I only would do the amount of cycling I needed to do to train. You know, I mean, I love cycling. I've always loved cycling. I mean, I grew up yeah. on a bike, like four years old, whatever. Yeah. It's always been like a way to escape and get out of wherever I am, like my neighborhood, the city, whatever. And during the pandemic, I got really into cycling because, you yeah. know, the city was even though people weren't working and there were no tourists. I mean, people were home and they were outside and I live on the West Side Highway and it was very crowded. So and we didn't know, you know, what was going to happen. So or how we were catching or getting COVID. And, you know, in the beginning, everybody thought it was because you could like breathe near each other outside or something. Right. So I was just on my bike over the GW and up 9W. And I was just riding by yep. myself. And that was when I got really into cycling. And I started to notice that it wasn't just me, that there was a huge increase in women, in men, in cycling and people just getting out on their bikes. But I also noticed that a lot of people were new to the sport. Which is great. And But nobody could get bikes, which was a big challenge. And I, Nobody nobody can still get bikes. I know, that's, that's I know. Something, I, I that's know. something yeah. that we are going to have 
you know, uh, uh, it's going to have a profound impact on us for years to come. Years. So and I really mean it. Right. Because there's like this huge it, it demand is. and then you can't huge. service them. Yeah. So, I mean, can you imagine as a small business, everything we do was to acquire customers, right? Like, right. like we never had a supply chain issue. It was always, how do we get more customers? How do we get more awareness? How do, how do we get more adopters? That's what I've been concerned about. And then to go from that to literally turning down some sales because we know that spec is just not going to be available again for a very, very long time. And remember, as a bank manufacturer, all of us, we're at the end of kind of the supply chain, if you think about it. Right. Not so much on the frame and fork and seat posts and the handlebars and things that we make, but components come from two giants, right? They mm -hmm. come from Shimano, they come from SRAM, um, right? And so whether it's going to Specialized Trek or Ventum, that's that's where they're coming from. And so we're at their mercy, right? Right. Now they're at the mercy of their factories. Their factories are the mercy of raw materials, right? And so- Yeah, it's and like so, a vicious circle. It is. And so what happened is there was a raw material shortage in aluminum, rubber. Uh, I mean, uh, pretty much anything you can probably think of, there's been a raw material shortage. And then factories in Asia- which is where SRAM and Shimano are manufactured in Taiwan and Asia and China, everywhere, uh, multiple places, Malaysia, they all shut down yeah. because of COVID. And then when, so, so you had the raw material shortage and then you have uh, uh, shutdowns of the factories. When they came back up, they were limited, right? They weren't back at hundred percent. Right. And then you had a global container shortage. I don't know if you know about yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. I heard about you know, that. I yeah. mean, right. I, it, it's become mainstream, which is, in some sense, it's nice that it has because I think the average consumer now understands. Right. Like you know, it's not personal. How like this is a real right. thing happening. Yeah. Right. And so then you have a global container shortage. All the containers are sitting here in the U.S. empty and there's none in, in Asia and, and other places. Finally, you get a container. Then you had all these crazy overcrowded ports. Now, most of us go through Long Beach. It's one of the bigger ports and that's the one that's closest to us in California. Um, I don't oh, wait, have this wait, task Long today. Beach, Long Island? No, no. <laughs> different Long Beach. Yeah. I bet you Long Beach, Long Island would be faster though. So yeah. they usually like have like one or two ships, zero to two ships kind of on deck. And this is probably, it's probably changed today. Uh, the, the, the number's probably even higher, but last time I checked, there was like 86 boats yeah. and they can only service one a day. That 86 boat is waiting 86 days before they can even unload. So, so what does that mean? Well, it means that I used to be the things I used to do in days now mm -hmm. take months and even yeah. years. So we used to have a 30 day lead time with a lot of our suppliers. Right. And I can tell you that we put in a PO today with one of our suppliers that used to give us 30 days. And their forecast is that we will get it in Q4 of 2024. That's in three years. Whoa. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Correct. Because am I even going to have that model in three years? I'm not sure. So it, it has disrupted the, the industry tremendously. Now, how have we navigated it? Well, we're pretty lucky because we assemble everything here in Utah. And we're a direct consumer brand. And we give you the most options out of any other brand in the world. We right. give you 60,000 combinations, which is a nightmare in terms of SKUs. But you can choose your crank lift, your cassette size, you can use your, your bar width, your stem size. You can choose from five different wheel providers. 
on and on and on and on across all our, it's over 60,000 combinations. So as opposed to the big boys who manufacture and assemble in Asia, we assemble here in Utah. So we're able to use our inventory a lot more efficiently. Right. So we, we don't put that Grupo, we don't put the Shimano until we get the order and the order is a black 56 NS1. Right. Right. And so, so we're, be, we're able to use that, that inventory very efficiently, as opposed to if we, we were assembling in Asia, that Grupo might be on a 48 red NS1. What are you, you know, you're going right. to strip it down. Right. So, so that's one of the things. And honestly, truth be told, and again, I'm going to be pretty transparent is I, I assume in terms of margins, we have some of the best margins because we're direct consumer. Right, which is a great we're not business giving model. A, yeah. It, it is, it is. And I mean, look, I'm sure Canyon, who was a, a direct consumer brand, has probably way bigger, I know has way bigger margins. But what that means to us is, is that we're not giving a huge margin to the bike shop. So we've been utilizing our margins to purchase whatever we are short of at retail from anywhere we can find it, Right. 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 Because at times, you know, you have 76, you know, call it like, I don't know, 70, 76 pieces that go into a bike. You might be missing five of them, right? Right. By, you know, like, and so so that being said, we will eat our gross margin, um, at least some of it, but at least we can fulfill bikes. And so that's how we've been able to fulfill bikes as opposed to saying, you know, like a lot of the other brands said, hey, no bikes for another year and a half, Right. Um, we're able now that being said, there are some specs that we just cannot deliver on, you know, which is unfortunate. Did you have a big waiting list of people like waiting for bikes now? Yes. Okay. Yes. So waiting on the, on the ones that we really, really can't fulfill. Like I'll just, I mean, I I don't want to get too nitty gritty, but like, like Shimano's gravel group set, which is GRX, we cannot fulfill. We haven't had Shimano GRX since February. And we probably won't get it until this February, the next February. So we will have been out of gravel GRX for a year. However, we have three other specs of, of uh, gravel components. So, you know, we'll just be able to push you closer to that or, or steer you towards that or offer you that really not, not you know, so, so it's not like we're out of every bike. We're just, we're out of certain specs. And so, so that's kind of how we've been navigating and, you know, we're, we grow historically we've grown 40 50 percent year over year every year since 2014 and and we are on track this year again and i'd like to say that we're on track in spite of COVID. i do get a little ticked off when people say you're there because of COVID. COVID definitely brought more eyeballs to the sport of cycling yes but the supply chain has is actually the same if not worse than it used to be so Yes, you have this increased demand, but you can't supply it. So you can't really realize that, you know, that, that, that benefit financially. So, so we, grew, we grew that in spite of COVID is, is kind of how I like to picture it. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think, you know, there were some silver linings and some challenges. And I think, you know, with challenges and things like one door opens, another door closes, from challenge comes yeah. opportunity and all the things that people say, like those things are true. So true, though. It's crazy because, you know, you like wake up one day and you're like, I want to get a bike and then you can't get it for a year. And you're just like, ah. Yeah. So I don't know if you know, but the Ventum 1, which we were talking about, which is our flagship triathlon bike that came out in in, uh, 2015, the new Ventum 1 just came out. 
you can actually get it. Yeah. So what happened is, so take a take a look at the new Ventimore. Do you make small? But- Smallest is a forty six, and then we just added a forty eight because oh, we used great. to go forty six fifty one. So we go forty six forty eight fifty one and up. But the beauty about it is. Because that was a new model, we knew when it was going to launch. We have so much inventory of that. So yeah, we could ship one out tomorrow. Okay, this is good news. (laughs) This is really good news. So that's the other thing, you know, women cycling, women who are smaller, it's been challenging to find bikes that fit. So, you know, how do you kind of respond to that? Obviously, you just said you have a a 46, which means that you obviously do have a lot of women riding your bikes because that's smaller. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's funny, our first year in business, I only would sponsor female athletes, actually, because I didn't like the, the disparity in pay in, in, uh, pay in the sport and, and many other reasons, the recognition. And I mean, the same distances, same efforts and have to pay. It was outrageous. So actually, I made it a point to only sponsor female athletes our first year. And that's, you know, that's been part of the kind of the ethos of the company. But part of it is exactly that is making small bikes as well. So and and we're doing this, that across the board with our with our road and gravel as well. That's so in so fact, smart. our gravel yeah. actually, yeah, yeah, you have to. I mean, first of all, you, if you look at the demographic of the sport, uh, you know, it's definitely leaning towards more um, more female female competitors and female participants. Yeah, I mean, the Tour de France found it. too. I mean, that's huge. Yes, I'm so excited yes, for I'm that. Yes, I'm so excited. That's so cool. I could, yeah, it is very exciting. We're definitely going to get involved one day with that. There's no doubt. I was reading in a survey that the women's cycling market has increased tremendously over the past two years, and it continues to grow. Definitely, definitely is. And and honestly, you can't forget about kids, too. Right. You know, that's kind of the next frontier, I would say. Maybe I shouldn't give all the secrets away, but it's uh, performance-driven bikes for kids should be a thing, yeah. right? I mean, you've got you've got kids that are at a very high level very early on. And, and I think they would benefit from better equipment. And and by the way, they could be one and the same as well. I mean, uh, I don't know what the average height of a 13 year old, but I can't imagine it being that short, right? Right. So, so it would actually- four, you know, Probably like than, five feet, four, eight, four- Yeah, four, exactly, like exactly. Four, so, or yeah. Yeah. So if you think about it, you know, it, it, it's a multi-purpose uh, size, if you will. So yeah, that's smart. I mean, and that was yeah. another thing that we saw in the pandemic, right? Like there was like an influx of kids getting out on their bikes, but I think getting them on the right bikes, not just mountain bike. And now what about you? I mean, you're an athlete. That's how this all started. So are you still doing triathlon? I know you also do ultra running. I'm, I come from a running background. I kind of fell in love with cycling. Uh, my running, my competitive running is probably behind me sports is a huge part of of my life but I also just like kind of everything I do in life it, it's a bit batched so I batch things a little bit so um, whether it's work meetings personal life um, I I have no moderation right mm-hmm. and so instead of fighting my motiva- moderation which I tried for a long time as a kid mm-hmm. I just kind of give into it to my extreme personality but just batch it, right? And so um, last year, for example, I was in very, very good shape. I was 158 pounds and I was probably as strong as I've been on the bike and my running was fantastic. I ended up doing rim to rim to rim in the Grand Canyon. So I started this. That's an awesome race. (laughs) Also crazy. It is, yeah. I mean, I did it for fun. Yeah, I did it for fun. I started the South Rim to the North Rim, back to the South Rim. It's 
about 50 miles and 22,000 feet of vertical change. And, um, you know, that was amazing. I run my age every year. So last year, actually, I was in the city. Last year, I was uh, running up the West Side Highway and through Central Park. So I turned 40 last year. So I ran 40 miles kind of around New York City. And, you know, usually I don't do that quick, but this time it was like a bit over eight minute miles. And so I was very happy where I was. Now, compared to this year, where the supply chain and, and the complexity of our business has has uh, increased exponentially, um, my athleticism has taken a step back. So I, you know, I am I'm more focused on work. Uh, maybe more of a pedestrian runner and cyclist at the moment. Definitely put on some lbs, yeah. uh, but that's how I have to do it. Yeah. And then I'll get back into it. So you know, when the stuff period goes away, I'll usually pick a goal and just. And then I'll really focus on it. But I've never been good at just a balanced day, right? I, 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 I I, I'm striving yeah. for a balance. Do you? Yeah. I'm striving for, for a balanced life, an average through life versus a balanced day. Just because I can't. I, I simply can't. I mean, there are days where I'm at the office for 14, 15, 18 hours, right? After that, I'm. It's dark. I'm. I'm. You know. I'm. I'm not gonna go. You have to do the work so that you can have fun. Yes, that's that's well said. That's how I kind of approach training too. It's like, well, the first priority is family, but forget that for a second. The first priority mm-hmm. with training and work is is work. And you know, if I can work and do the things I have to do to pay the bills and make money and supply the means for the fun and the workouts and the training, then I do that. And so sometimes I feel like that, like where I'll be really busy with work and I just, you know, miss a couple bikes, miss a couple runs. And I used to get so upset about it, but now I'm just like, you know what? It's fine. It's not my job. If my job was to be a professional athlete, then I would be doing all the bikes and all the runs and all those things. But I have another job. And be upset when you miss it. Exactly. Exactly. You know, if it's not a crazy training year, it's not a crazy training year. It is what it is. I mean, exactly, exactly, and and yeah, I mean, look, I, it I had to be right. I had to be this way because there is a huge level of guilt associated, yes. right? Yes. When you have that mindset of, yeah. oh my god, I missed like, you know, because I always have a coach. I I, I you know, ninety percent of my life, I I have a coach. I need somebody accountable for it. Right now, my coach, if you looked at my workouts, you would laugh. It's like, you know, go hike with your girlfriend and 20 minute run, walk if you need to, right? Like, but I still need a coach. I still need that accountability. But it took me forever to get to a place where I do not feel guilty when I, uh, when I miss a workout, right? And, and for the exact same reasons that you just mentioned. I know. I look at training peaks sometimes. And I used to leave the red workouts in and now I just delete them. Like, forget it. I got to <laughs> sometimes like while I'm watching TV at night, I'll start like deleting workouts on training weeks. Sometimes I'll delete yeah. the whole program. <laughs> I was telling someone earlier that, that I like disconnected my Strava account because I got upset with the averages. So I get, uh-huh. I don't like to have, I don't like the average. I'm not, I hate that. I don't know what it is, but I know that I'm riding, you know, a good chop at, for me, 18 miles an hour yeah. on my bike. And when I come back and it says 15 average, I'm like, uh-uh, no. No, I'm no, right? I'm that. <laughs> you know what's funny is, is I used to admit workouts on Strava oh, yeah. when I'm fit because I don't want people to see what, where I'm at. And now I admit uh, you know, workouts in Strava because I don't do them. So 
<laughs> it's true. But I love the segments. That is my favorite part of Strava, the segments. It is cool, isn't it? Yeah, I'm a, a data geek. So so speaking of tech stuff, what is some of your favorite gear besides the Ventum bike? Like what shoes do you wear? What wheels do you love? Oh, that, this is a very good question. So helmet, I, I'm a Park guy. They're based out of Salt Lake, or, or Park City here. So uh, I, I like Park a lot. Uh, for my helmet, I have been converted to Wahoo. Oh yeah, for my computers. Yeah. Are you as well? Well, not my computers yet, but I have the trainer. Oh god. Oh well. First of all, the, the Wahoo trainer is by far. That's actually what started my conversion. To me, the Wahoo trainer is the best direct drive trainer I have ever used, and I have several of them. So I have a huge pain cave in my garage, and it's all Wahoo, and it's yeah, it's it's fantastic. They are so easy to use. They you know, they work, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so I love that. So Wahoo, and that's kind of what, from there, I went to the Wahoo headset, uh, you know, okay. for, or for my, 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 my computer. And then I recently, um, acquired the Wahoo watch, uh, oh, okay. the rival for, yeah. Although truth be told, I haven't had much, ex- like too many runs with it. Yeah. Um, I will say, I mean, I, I mean, Garmin's always been great. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, so I've been, I've been really into Wahoo. In terms of my my kits, I um, there's a company out of California called Win Republic. Uh-huh. I don't know if you know them yeah, or not. Totally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I love Win. Win Win is my go-to kit. Um, you know, there's I mean, obviously Rafa's nice as well. I, yeah. I don't mind that. Sunglasses, pretty agnostic. I'll do you know Roca. I, is, yeah, is they're good. good, good yeah. Too. yeah. But yeah, those are some of the the shoes are sh- I'm uh, sh- pearl zooming. So it's funny because I've done so many trials and errors on shoes, and um, they just fit the best. And I think that's so subjective, right? Yes, like meaning totally. like your foot shape and yeah, like it's the first shoe that I cycle in that I always go a certain level of numb after a certain period of time, right? Yeah, totally. Um, I thought it was just like, me. I'm so glad you said no, that. <laughs> Like, I literally no, like my yeah. toes go numb and I'm like, Oh my God, yeah. I'm wearing the wrong shoes. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Like you know, my toes go numb or is my saddle? Am I seeing different, but there are certain shoes where, I mean, I'll start going numb like 20 minutes into the ride <laughs> and the pearl is doing, and, and I'm sure it has nothing to do with the performance of the shoe. It has everything to do with my Fit, yeah. the shape of my foot. Right. Yeah. And so the pearl zooming ones are the ones that I, really noticed that I can, I mean, it takes hours and hours before I uh, start going numb uh, or feel tingliness. So, so yeah, but I I think, you know, and then wheels, I, I, I'm an envy guy. I am an envy guy through and through and through again. They're right here down the road in Ogden. I have a great relationship with these guys and that's what we spec uh, at Ventum. I love it. I love it. And then in terms of components, I've always been a Shimano guy until the gravel bike came out. And then I uh, I started using SRAM. Yeah. And can I tell you, like, I actually really, really like SRAM. So I'm in a bit of a pickle right now because I like to um, have kind of like components go across the board. I can switch wheels. Right. I can, you know, take a battery from this bike to that bike, whatever. And now I have Shimano and SRAM. And I need to decide if I'm going to go all SRAM or yeah, if I'm going to go all Shimano. But I love SRAM. And, and in fact, I don't, have you used SRAM at all? Not no? yet, but we're like, we're building. Yeah, not yet. But I would build my own bike. Like I would, I would totally like, I mean, unless yeah. I didn't have to, but I wanted to do, I would love to try SRAM, the ETAP Force or Red. I mean, 
Yeah, I'm not winning, yeah, you know, Iron Man, so force is fine for no, me. Bo- <laughs> yeah, both both are fantastic. Are yeah. I love their shifting logic. Mm-hmm. Um, so this might be a little uh, a little technical, but like, say on the road, there's only one shifter. So unless, unlike the i2, that you have two buttons. Yes. It's left goes it goes easy, hard it goes hard, uh-huh. harder, and then if you press them both at the same time, it will move your front derailleur. So if you're in the big ring, it'll go to the small ring. Right. If you're in the small ring, it'll go to the big ring. But I love that because sometimes, and this could be me, maybe I'm very very stupid, but when I am just like climbing somewhere or like oxygen de- depleted, and I'm like at my limit. I sometimes screw up with Shimano because it gets a little too complex. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll click the wrong button or I'll go the opposite way I want it to go. Or, and so this, I've never like SRAM's shifting logic makes so much sense to me. So yeah, that's interesting to think about. I mean, I definitely, I definitely think when I'm in that zone too, like there's no thinking my brain stops working. I will say this though. Um, you know, when we're playing in that level of equipment, you know, everything's good, yeah. right? I mean, like, you know, like, and including bikes, right? I mean, right. we can be with Specialized and Pinarello and I will never sit here and say, oh, they make an awful bike, right? And I make the best bike. That's not true at all, right? I mean, we're talking about Lamborghinis and Ferraris and right. Bugattis. And so yeah. they're all good. They, they may have different styles, different feels, different ethos, right? Uh, you know, but that doesn't make one good or one bad. And so we got to remember that, especially when you're talking about everything else, like the components and, and it's, it's hard to get very opinionated yeah. about a certain brand at that level. And at that price point, now there are some lower price points that I, I feel, yeah, you, you could make that argument. When it comes down to it, all of this stuff, it becomes like what works for you and what's the best design for you. And, you know, as you're more advanced in your athleticism, those things really fact, right? So You want the aerodynamic Ventum that's the amazing design with the built-in hydration system so your bottle doesn't fall off during a race. That's it. Your hydration's gone. I mean, it's fine during a race, right, because there's hydration spots where you can pick up water. But what if you're, like, out riding on a training day? I mean, that's not good. I just think it's it's really personal. It goes down back to, like, style and – weight and all those things and even with the wheels too right like and and it also what is the brand culture like you know is that your brand is it your vibe it, i mean it sounds like you have exactly you have a good vibe at ventum and you're supporting athletes and it's you know you're an entrepreneur and this is you know not a big corporate behemoth company no yeah you have a philosophy a mission at ventum so it's like do you want to be aligned with that you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And it is very personalized. And also I would say, you know, one more note on this is, is also knowing what the equipment does. And I'll give you a good example. Do you ride tubeless or not? Are you, not yet. You I'm going there. there. Okay. I'm going there. Okay. So, so that is the most dramatic positive change I've ever done on a bike. I can't speak highly enough. Now, I will say, though, if you have a leak, it's really, really annoying and, and, and whatnot. But if they're set up properly, right. tubeless has changed my riding. Okay. Right? So why? Because you can ride at a much lower PSI, right? And I'm riding a lot. I, I'm increasing my my, uh, my tire size constantly. Okay. So now I don't ride anything below, I think it's like a 31. Are you serious? Right? On a tri bike? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, on my road. Okay. On the tri is 20, yeah, 
28 to 30 on, on the try. But what happens is you can ride on the much lower PSI. It's been proven that it has a better rolling yes. resistance. Yes. So you're actually going faster and smoother, right? As opposed to, uh, you know, the 23s and 25s pumped up to 120 PSI, um, you know, where essentially when you're going over something, you're, you're, you're losing contact with right. the road, right? Yes. Yes. And so, so, so when I did that, and by the way, it makes the ride so smooth I'm, because it almost yeah. acts as a shock, right? And so you have to be also be mindful of what you're looking for because I can give you a Ventum NS1, like I described, the 25s. I'll pump them up with tubes at a 120 and you're going to have the harshest ride of your life. Yeah. And I can take that same bike, switch the, the tires to 32s at 60, 55 PSI mm -hmm. and you're going to love your life. Right. But you have to know what does what. Yeah. And I think that that's a bit challenging for the for the for the newbies, I would say. I'm at that crossover point. You know, I don't think I'm a newbie, yeah. but I've been very focused on other things, not, you know, leveling up my bike until this past yeah. year when I really started riding it more. And also I wasn't super competitive at triathlon. I have and I like the road. I like having a road bike, honestly. Like that's what I grew up on, and yeah. I like it. And I feel yeah. like it's I could ride with like my eyes closed and no hands. Like I feel very, kind of naturally yeah. connected to the bike. And I mean, the past few years I'm very into triathlon, but from the level of my gear. Yes. But you know, as I spend more time on my bike and doing more triathlon and getting more competitive. I'm realizing that I needed to level things up. So I actually like my bike, but I haven't been able, I haven't made the change over. I definitely feel like I am going to go in the direction of tubeless and SRAM and I'll probably get a TT bike, but I also like having yeah. a road bike. Yeah, I, I like having, for sure. I'll tell you this. If you have to have, it's easy to have one bike. Right. If you do gravel and road, it's near impossible to have one bike and be perfectly happy if you have, if you do triathlon and road, because, but for me, for example, uh, like I'm going to, I'm going to California tomorrow. Right. And I shipped, I sent over my gravel bike. Um, our gravel bike again is super aerodynamic, completely right. integrated. It looks sick. And I have two sets of wheels. One wheel has 43s tires mm -hmm. on there. Okay. So that's when gravel. I'm going to go. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to go graveling and, you know, really like, pretty good off-road stuff um and then by the way you can ride on the road i just i'm gonna be riding with some guys that are pretty fast yeah and so i want to give myself every yes. competitive advantage in my un unhealthy state at the moment yeah. so then i brought my second set of wheels with 31s on there okay. and i'm literally just gonna stretch out my wheels and go but normally i'll only travel with a gravel bike and have like a, a medium range tire like a 38 and that's it i, I can do both sports perfectly happy when it comes to triathlon and road, that's a bit more challenging because if you have a road bike only on like an Ironman distance, eh, it's yeah. challenging, right? And then and then nobody wants to again putz around on a on an aggressive TT bike right. when you're like on a nice cruisy ride with your friends. Like it's just so so that one's a bit more difficult. I think that will be the problem. And it's funny because my my partner had my old road bike, and uh -huh. you know then she got herself a TT bike and. She's like, I don't know what you want to do with the road bike. And I'm thinking, like, I'm just going to keep it because you're not going to like that TT bike for bike rides. <laughs> and you're she's like, you know, I'm not right. saying that because I know then it will, like, it will upset her. But yeah, uh, I'm keeping <laughs> the other bike in the background. But uh, I, I think I mean, it's true. I mean, when you're, when you're a triathlete, you really 
even some of the cyclists I ride with that are, you know, serious cyclists, if they have a TT bike because they also do triathlon, it's it's like definitely you never see them riding that unless they're training for a race. Yeah, no, I mean, look, there's no doubt that road bikes will always be more comfortable than tri bikes. Yeah. Um, they're just <laughs> especially they're definitely not faster especially if you were raised on a road bike yeah you know if if all you know is triathlon like there's some people that are extremely comfortable they could just sit in their drops like, I, i'm thinking about lauren brandon yeah. uh who rides for us i mean she will do four to five hour trainer sessions on her wahoo and she will not break her aero position wow that's incredible for like four or five hours. yeah 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 which i mean i I can't do that for 10 minutes. <laughs> How has all this like training that you've done in endurance sports empowered you for success in your business? It's a good question. I mean, one of the things you essentially tackle the same things, the same demons, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the idea of, I mean, you would know this, like when you're running and you're like you want everything wants is telling you to stop every bone, every yep. muscle, Every brain cell is like, stop, 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 stop screaming at you. And you just don't, right? Because you know you're just one step closer to that finish line. It's very similar. I mean, uh, the pain is different. One's mental, one's physical. I mean, right. I, I, you know, no one's twisting my arm at work. But it's honestly, especially as a startup, I mean, I can't tell you how many times there have been moments where I just want to give up. It's just so hard. It's so hard. Yeah. And, and I think being conditioned through, you know, through, through athletics to, to not give up totally transcends, totally transcends. So that that's one of them. And yeah, also I'll, I'll say the other thing too is, and this may not be true for you, but it certainly is true for me. And I'd love to, to hear your opinion on it, but the whole idea of ignorance is bliss where the first race I ever do in a certain course, whether a certain distance is always my best one. Yeah. It's when I return back, you know, or it could be just, you know, forget racing. It could be a climb, a very famous climb, right? That first time I day, I'm all smiles. I usually PR, obviously, because it's my first time. But then the next time you're coming to it, it's like, you know, the pain. You can remember what's going to happen. Oh, and that hill yep. and that, to that turn. And same thing with business too, right? So this is my first run up this hill. And so, so it's exciting too. So I don't know. Now, I, I think I said at the beginning of the podcast, I was like, you know, if I knew what I knew now, I may not have even, you know, continued or started it. it at all. Exactly. So, so, I mean, I'm seeing so many parallels. I agree with you on the, like, the first time you do something, not really knowing it. Sometimes you go to a race and you drive the course. Still not the same as doing it, but I feel like when you go into something blindly, you have that sense of curiosity and adventure that when you start to overanalyze it and overthink it, it takes mm-hmm. away from that. And there's energy in that, right? There's energy in that kind of curiosity Absolutely. and its sense of adventure that it's almost like adrenaline, right? And that kind of helps you move forward. And when you lose that, you lose that energy. You're completely right. Yes. That's awesome. Well, this has been so great to have you on the podcast. I'm so excited for you. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thanks again for tuning into Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, 
giveaways and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, marnieonthemove1 at gmail.com. And let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of. If you have questions for our guests, just reach out 